Good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. We want to connect with you. And so the best way to do so is to download the Cedar Creek Church app. On there, you'll have a lot of awesome information where we can connect with you in the best way. Speaking of connecting with you, uh, on whatever platform that you're watching on this morning, there is a chat feature, and we want you to utilize that. There will be somebody on there who wants to chat with you and connect with you this morning. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, and we're excited to get to worship with you.
keep celebrating the incredible things he's done. If you're thankful for that this morning, just give him the praise here today.
and good morning, Cedar Creek. Thank you so much. You can grab a seat. If you have no idea who I am, uh, my name is Rick, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here at our Banks Mill campus. Uh, and this morning, I had the privilege of simply coming out here and saying, welcome. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for worship this morning. And I do, before we continue in worship, want to just take a second and pause and say a special welcome to you if you're new with us. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Um, your, uh, your being with us this morning matters to us, and we want to celebrate that. We'd also love to get to answer any questions you may have or connect you with any resources you may be looking for that brought you in this morning. And the way that we do that uh, is if before you'll leave this morning, you'll swing by my left, your right, over here to our VIP section. We will have some people standing by that would just love to shake your hand and also give you some free merch, which everybody's a fan of. Uh, and I also want to pause and say welcome and thank you for joining. For those of you who are joining us online this morning, and if you're new with us online, a link is being posted right now uh, on whatever platform you are on. Uh, if you can take a second, just share some information with us about yourself so that we can celebrate uh, your being here. We will also send you a free gift just to say thank you uh, and welcome to the Cedar Creek Church family. Uh, so honored and excited to have you here. If I can, before we continue in worship, and I, and I guess nobody's gonna stop me, so I can. Uh, <laughs> I wanna just have a moment of just maybe honest transparency and, and just maybe own up to something. My week has kind of been blah. And I don't, I, like, I don't know if you ever had that week. It's not like anything terrible happened. It's not like anything disastrous happened. It just kind of everything seemed to happen. That every time it felt like I was gonna get to a spot that maybe I could rest and, and recover a little bit, something else would get heaved onto the calendar. And, and so by the middle of the week, I was just kind of like, God, just get me, just get me through it. Just get me to the other side of this, maybe towards the 4th of July, and I can actually start to enjoy summer. And we had the opportunity this weekend to head down to Valdosta in South Georgia. My sister, Caitlin, got married back at the beginning of COVID, and, and uh, her husband's family wasn't able to come up here with all of the COVID stuff going on. And so we were able to go kind of have a reception. But if I can be honest, like even in that, like I was like, I don't, six hours of driving, and, and, and then I had to turn around and come back, and I gotta be here on Sunday morning. And, and just, I wasn't feeling it, right? And we got down there and we got to play golf at a beautiful golf course, which you think would cheer me up, but I was just kind of still like, ah, I don't know. And so then we're, we're having this party Friday night and my little blonde-headed daughter Piper is in what she calls her princess dress. It's a sparkly pink dress and she's excited about it. And we get to dance and then she's been so excited the whole day about dancing. Well, then the music was too loud. And so she comes up to me, she's like, Daddy, the music's scary, I wanna go outside. So I'm like, okay. So I pick her up and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, believe it or not, I'm, I'm not much for busting a move either. So we, uh, we headed outside and she wanted to go run and barefooted on the golf course. The party was in a golf course clubhouse. And so we take off over there. It's after everybody's done playing golf. And I had one of those, I call them small moments. The moments in life that remind you how small you are and how big God is. And I'm, and I'm standing there on this putting green and. And my daughter Piper is in this fancy dress and she's decided that this is the appropriate time to take off her shoes uh, and go down into the sand bunker and begin to rake the sand that's in the bunker as if it's a beach. And so I'm, I'm watching that and I'm like, it's not worth the battle, just let it go. And I, as I'm doing that, there's, there's a pond off in the distance and the sunset's sitting there and I'm, and I'm watching my, this beautiful gift of God's grace that is my daughter playing in the sand. And even in that moment, of me coming into it, just God, I, I don't wanna, I don't wanna do this. God's faithfulness reminded me that he does, like we just sang about, do great things. 
And I was reminded of this passage where David writes about God in the 145th chapter of the book of Psalms. He says this, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. As I was watched Piper play and I, and I saw the beauty of God's creation, I, I was reminded that, that God gives us these moments that we get a glimpse of his greatness and his goodness. And then I was convicted as I headed in, as I headed in here this morning, and I just felt, God, this should be that every week. That I get to pull in here with a family, with a body of believers and reflect on God's goodness and grace and share what he's done and talk with friends and family about what he's done this week. But so often this becomes another thing that I do, another, another item on the checklist, another something that I need to complete. And so my challenge to myself as I've been preparing to be here, my challenge to you guys as we all are here, is that we all have stuff going on. Some of us walking in difficulty, some of us walking in tremendous prosperity, but whatever it is, seasons of busyness or seasons, seasons of relaxation, to just take this time to ask God's goodness and grace to be in this place, that we would encounter it, and that we would be encouraged by it, and then we would carry it from here. That that's what this hour is about. It's not about a gold star on my good Christian boy or girl checklist, it's an hour to sit with fellow believers and say, God, I need to be reminded who you are because X, Y, and Z have happened this week and X, Y, and Z are going to happen this coming week and I just need an hour to pause and be reminded that in the midst of all of that, your goodness and your grace goes before me and is behind me and I can trust you to move. So that's what I want this morning to be about. That's what I want this to be for us. So if you will, will you stand with me? I'm gonna pray for us as we continue in worship. Jesus, this morning, we thank you for the great things that you have done. God, that every person in this room breathes in oxygen because that is your will and that is your gift of your grace. God, my prayer is this morning, we would be able to press pause. We would be able to wipe our mind of all everything else that we have going on and just reflect on your goodness. God, that you are good. Despite what we came in here with, whether it was prosperity or suffering, that in both of those circumstances, your grace and goodness is bigger than those circumstances. And we can encounter it here this morning and we can be encouraged by other believers. And we can be encouraged by your presence. God, and my prayer is that that encouragement would spur us to action that we wouldn't let your goodness end with us, God, but we would desire for others who are hurting, broken, and need to find you. God would be guided in taking their first step back to you 
as a response to the encouragement we find in this place. So Jesus, we love you, we worship you. We thank you for your goodness. It's in your name we pray.
Father, we're so thankful for your righteousness that you've imparted to us through your son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that comes with that. Here today, we stand to simply say, thank you. Amen. cannot begin to tell you how great it is to be able to be here with you this morning. I just want you to know that Terry and I and our entire family are so grateful for you, for your prayers, your thoughts, your support, your notes, your cards. All of those things have meant so much to us over these last couple of months, and we are truly grateful for each and every one of you. You know, when this journey started a little over two months ago, it, it certainly took us by surprise. We weren't expecting it, and we had no idea where this journey would take us. But in the midst of all of those unknowns, there were two things that we knew that we knew. One, that we would not make this journey alone, that God was with us, and that you our Cedar Creek Church family would walk this journey with us. And secondly, we knew somehow, in some way, God would use this. He was moving and working in these unexpected circumstances. And, and we knew he would want to use it not just for our good, but way more importantly, he would want to use this journey in our lives for his glory. And so we want to give glory to God in this journey. So I'm just going to stand before you today and humbly say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are my hope and my healer. You are my strength and my salvation. And you and you alone deserve all the honor and glory, not because of the outcome of these circumstances, but because you are worthy of my worship and praise no matter what the circumstances are in my life. So I thank you Jesus. Amen and amen. I tell you something else I'm very well aware of that I am certainly not the only person here 
who is going through or who has been through a difficult circumstance or struggle. And if that's you today, first I just want you to know I'm sorry for your pain. I'm sorry for what you're going through. But I also want you to know you don't have to go through it alone. God is there. He hears. He cares. And so does this big, beautiful Cedar Creek Church family. And we would love nothing more than to walk with you in your journey. We don't have a magic wand. We can't fix that problem, but we can fix the fact that you are struggling alone. But you've got to reach out. You've got to let us know what you're going through. And whatever way you're comfortable doing that, send us a private message if you're connecting online. Send a prayer request to our confidential prayer email. Grab one of our staff. Grab one of our volunteers or somebody sitting near you if you're in person on one of our campus and just say, I'm not okay. Because here at Cedar Creek, it is okay to not be okay because Jesus is okay. And we want to connect you with him and walk with you through that journey. So please, please, please don't isolate. Don't go through it alone. Allow us, this Cedar Creek Church family, to walk your journey with you. Because that's why we're here. That's one of the primary purposes of being a church. The church is not a health club for the holy It's a hospital for the hopeless and hurting, and we want to be that for you. So please, please, please reach out. Let us know. Let us connect with you, and more importantly, help you connect with Jesus, the ultimate hope and healer and sustainer. We love you, and we love Jesus, and we want to get the two people we love together. So... Thank you for giving me this moment to just share this. I'm going to get off of my little soapbox now, and we're going to get started on the message. So if you will grab your message notes, you'll see we're kicking off a brand new summer message series called Parables. And over the next several weeks, we're going to explore some of these amazing stories from the greatest storyteller ever. Because see, here's the thing, whatever you believe or don't believe about Jesus and who he claimed to be, I think the one thing that we could all agree on is that Jesus was a phenomenal communicator. Jesus had an incredible way of connecting with and communicating to the people who were around him. Whether he was doing that in a one-on-one setting like with Nicodemus or the woman at the well or whether he was doing it in a small group with just his disciples as they traveled the countryside. Jesus was a great communicator. And one of the places where he communicated the best was to large crowds of people. Throughout Jesus' public ministry, he often drew large crowds of people, and he would often stop, turn around, sit down, and teach and talk with and communicate and connect with these huge crowds of people. And whenever Jesus spoke to large crowds, his favorite communication tool was the parable. In fact, notice what the Bible says, Matthew 13, 34. It says, Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these, like parables, when speaking to the crowds. 
In fact, it says he never spoke to them without using such parables. Why did Jesus use parables so often? It's because Jesus knew what all good communicators know is that stories stick. People engage with and remember stories much longer than they do list or facts or statistics or quotes. Stories stick with people. In fact, I remember a few years ago, I was talking to a guy who'd been part of our church for years, and he was just talking about the way I preach, and he said, I remember you telling that story one time in a sermon about when the hamster got loose in your car when you were driving down the bypass. And I'm like, you remember that story? I had told that story 12 years earlier. And he remembered it over a decade later. I'm like, I can't believe you remember it. He said, oh yeah, I remember it verbatim. It was such a great story. It stuck with him. And then because I'm kind of a glutton for punishment, I asked the question that no preacher should ever ask. I said, you remember the story But do you remember the point of the story? Do you remember why I told it, the principle I was trying to teach with that story? And he's like, no, I don't really remember that. But the story was really funny. I'm like, great, that's encouraging. Well, my hope, my prayer over these next five or six weeks is not only will these stories stick with us, but more importantly, the principles that they teach, the practical things they tell us, will become more and more ingrained in our daily lives. Because that's the purpose of a parable. In fact, the very definition of a parable is something that is untrue, that teaches us things that are true. That's what a parable does. In other words, a parable is made up in order to help us better understand how we're made up, how God is made up, and how our lives together are made up. And so as we walk through these stories of things that didn't happen, I hope they will help us with the things that do happen in our lives. And so if you have your Bible or Bible app with you, if you would turn to Luke chapter 8, that's where this first parable we're going to look at is found. It is often called the parable of the sowers. Sometimes it's called the parable of the soils. But whatever you call it, it's a story Jesus told about a farmer sowing some seeds on several different types of soil. But the purpose of this parable is not to help us grow better gardens. The purpose of this parable is help us learn how to hear from God. And I would imagine that's good news for a lot of us because I think there are a lot of us here who would really like to hear from God. That maybe you're facing a major life decision about a marriage or a divorce or a job or a career or a finance. You're kind of at this fork in the road and you're just needing God to show up and speak to you and tell you what you need to do. Or maybe you're desperate to hear from God not because of a decision but because of a difficult and painful circumstance you're going through. And you would just desperately love to hear God's soothing, comforting, still small voice to remind you that you're not alone, that you're here. You're desperate to hear from God, and you pray every day, but when you pray, it kind of sounds like you're the only one talking. 
And you spend time in God's Word and the things you read are interesting. But there's nothing in there that jumps off the page and says God is saying this to you. And you're wondering, does God still speak to people today? Does God still speak to us the way he did in the times we read about in the Bible? And I believe with all my heart the answer to that question is absolutely yes. Yes, God still speaks clearly today. But I also believe the problem is we're not willing to listen. We're not getting ourselves and our lives and our behaviors into a place where we can hear God speak. Now, I want to be up front with you. I have never once in my entire life heard the audible voice of God. It's never happened to me. I've never been sitting on my back porch praying or reading the Bible, and I heard, this is God. I'm speaking. No, I've never had. I'm not saying God doesn't speak that way. I'm just saying he's never spoken that way to me. And if I can be even more transparent, anytime somebody comes up to me and tells me that God spoke to them, it makes me really, really nervous. Not because I don't think God speaks, because usually when people say to me, Philip, God spoke to me, the rest of that sentence is something they say God's telling me I need to do. Or God's telling me something that the church needs to do. Philip, God told me, you need to do this, or the church needs to do that. I'm not discounting what they're saying. I'm just wondering if God wanted me to know that, why didn't he just say it to me? Or if God wanted the church to do something, why would he not tell me, the pastor, he wanted me to lead that way? But in spite of my little hang-ups about people saying God spoke to them, in spite of the struggles I have with that, I am convinced that God speaks clearly and loudly even today. And one of the reasons I believe that is this parable that Jesus told. If you're not familiar with the parable, here it is is in a nutshell. Jesus said a farmer was going out planting some seeds. And as he cast the seeds, some of the seeds fell on a footpath that was packed down and trampled on and hard. And so the seed could not germinate. It was unable to grow. And birds came and ate that seed. But Jesus said some of the seeds fell on rocky soil. And even though it was able to grow for a little while, as soon as it got hot, as soon as there was a drought, The plants withered and died because they had no depth of root. Jesus said a third of the seed fell on soil that looked good on the surface, but was crowded with weeds and thorns. And even though the plant grew up quickly, the weeds and thorns grew up quicker and they choked out the plant and it died. But Jesus said some of the seed, some of the seed fell on fertile soil and it grew and it grew, and it produced a hundredfold of what had been planted. Now, when Jesus said a hundredfold, the entire crowd of people would have started laughing. They would have realized that this was a made-up story. Because the idea of getting a hundredfold from seed planting in a field was unheard of in ancient farming. Best case scenario, the average yield of a crop was somewhere between 3 and 5%. Maybe, just maybe, you could get 10% if you had a great year and the weather cooperated. But a hundredfold production from a crop, not going to happen. And as the people are kind of getting the inside joke, Jesus gives them a mic drop statement. Notice what he says, verse 8. 
When he said this about the hundredfold, he called out and said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Why does Jesus make that strange statement? Because that's the point of the parable. Jesus is saying, God is speaking. The question is, are you willing to hear what he has to say? And the reason I know that is because after the crowd dispersed, the disciples came up to Jesus and said, what was up with that farmer and the seed story? And Jesus said, the farmer represents God, and the seed represents God's word, what God is saying, and you are the soil. In other words, you are determining whether or not you are hearing what God has to say. And so what I want to do this morning is unpack this parable a little bit because I believe it shows us four essential attitudes we must have to hear from God. Four attitudes we need if we want to hear from God. But before we do that, quick, quick word of caution. Our tendency with this parable is to assume that we are one of four types of soil. We're one of these, you know. Well, well, I'm obviously the good soil, and she's the rocky soil, and he's the hard soil, and, and he's got all the weeds and thorns. We think, try to categorize ourselves as one of these four types of soil, but that's not why Jesus tells this parable. What Jesus wants us to understand is that we are all, all four of these different types of soil at different times and at different areas of our life. I mean, yes, you have some areas in your life where you are fertile soil and you're hearing from God. But you've also got some areas in your life where you're hard soil or rocky soil or crowded soil. And so rather than trying to figure out what kind of soil you are and what kind of soil your spouse is and what kind of soil your kids are, your home group friends are, we need to recognize our tendency to be all of these. And more importantly, we need to see the attitudes that will help us hear better from God. That makes sense? We're tracking? All right, let's jump in. Number one, the first attitude that allows me to hear from God is an open mind and heart. Hearing from God starts with an openness to hear from God. I guess it really starts with the believing the possibility that there is a God and that God desires to speak personally to you. What I'm saying is the more you want to hear from God, the more you desire it, the more you'll begin to hear from Him. But until you want to hear from him, you're going to have a hard time hearing what he has to say. As a pastor, I have people say this to me all the time. Philip, I just wish God would give me a burning bush. I wish he would just speak to me like he did to Moses and just tell me exactly what he wants me to do. How many of you have ever had that thought? God, just show me. Show up in a burning bush. Yeah, almost all of us. But here's the thing. I went back and read. Exodus, that story of Moses and the burning bush. And you know what is very clear in that story? Moses heard God in the burning bush because Moses was open to hearing God in the burning bush. Right? Moses is just keeping his flock down in the valley. He sees a bush burning on top of a mountain. He sees it and goes, oh, that's interesting. That could be something. It could be nothing. But Moses doesn't stop there. He climbs the mountain because he believes there might be something important up there. He doesn't just go back to keeping his flocks. Oh, that might be God, might not be. No, he climbs the mountain. And then when he gets there, this is fascinating. I never noticed this before in the story. The Bible says the bush started burning not because God was in the bush. 
The Bible says an angel of the Lord caused the bush to start burning. God didn't show up in the bush until Moses approached the bush. And when Moses approached the bush, that's when God entered the bush and said, here is a willing heart. Here is an open mind to hear what I have to say. And that's what Jesus is saying about these soils. Look at verse 5. Jesus said, a farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was what? What does that say happened to the path? Stepped on. Circle that stepped on. And the birds ate it. See, to understand this, you got to understand first century farming. It was all done by hand. So in order for the farmer to plant and care for and tend that field, he had to walk in that field. So it wasn't a big field that was all plowed up. It was a field that was plowed up, but it had paths going between the rows, back and forth, both sides, because the farmer was always walking in the field. And other people walked through that field. In the first century, there weren't a lot of great direct routes or roads, and there were no fences or no such thing as trespassing. So people would cut through fields all the time to get from one place to the other. You read about it in the gospel. Several times Jesus and his disciples are walking through someone else's field. So you had these paths, these places where the soil had been packed down, had been stepped on. It had been trampled on. And you know what? That same thing often happens to us in life. Over time, people and circumstances trample on our lives and our hearts and cause them to become hardened. Can I ask you a personal question? Who's trampled through your field? Who's packed down the soil of your heart? Maybe a parent or somebody that hurts you years ago. Maybe it was a church you were a part of and they were just so judgmental and they wounded you deeply. Or maybe it was a person who claimed to be a follower of Jesus but they were just caustic and toxic and they damaged you. Or maybe for you it wasn't a who, it was a what. Maybe you've been through some circumstances and you're like, if God would allow that into my life, I don't want to have anything to do with him. And those trampled down people and circumstances have created calluses on your heart, calluses towards God. And they may make you feel better and they may make you think that you are protecting yourself with those hard calluses, but the truth are they are keeping you from connecting with the only one who can heal that hurt. You know, when I evaluate my own life and the calluses I have on my heart and my mind, things that cause me to become isolated and hard, for me, the three main ones, and you can write these down in your margin if you want to, the three greatest callous causers in my heart are fear, bitterness, and pride. Fear, bitterness, and pride. Fear causes me to have a hard heart towards God because I'm afraid of what he would say if he spoke to me. Because I know me, I know where I've been, I know the things I've done, and I'm thinking, man, I don't want God to speak to me because he's going to let me have it. He's mad at me. It was like when I was a kid growing up, and I'd get in trouble. My mom would sometimes say, just wait till your father gets home, boy. 
And all day, the sound I didn't want to hear was my father's station wagon pulling in to the driveway because I knew it wasn't going to go well. He was going to have some things to say that I didn't want to hear. And some of you have that view of God like he's an angry dad and and you don't want to hear, you don't want to be punished and chastised. But can I just tell you, God knows everything you've done, every place you've been, every fault, every failure. He is keeping score on everything in your life but he has already evened the score through the death of his son Jesus on the cross. You are forgiven. He has grace. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. Don't be afraid to be open from hearing from God because he's not mad at you. Now, I think most of us know that. We know about God's grace and forgiveness. We're afraid to hear from God because we know there are some things in our life that God's going to want to change. And we don't want to change them. Even though they're unhealthy, even though they're damaging to us and our relationships, we become comfortable with that dysfunction. And we don't want to hear. We're afraid to hear from God because we are afraid of the changes. For some of us, it's just bitterness. Bitterness has hardened our hearts because life hurts. And our natural response to pain is to isolate, to wall off and say, never again. I'll never let anyone in. I'm not going to be vulnerable. And while I get that, I also understand that's the dumbest thing you could do. Think about it. You're allowing that person or circumstance that hurt you to continue to hurt you even today. And you're allowing them to keep you from connecting with the healer. But let's get real. For most of us, the biggest callous causer in our heart and mind is pride. Pride. We we don't think we need to hear from God because we don't think we need God. I've got it all together. I've got my life, my job, my family. My life is good, and it may be for now. But can I just tell you from my own personal journey If you live long enough, I don't care how rich you are, how smart you are, how connected you are, eventually life is going to get bigger than you. Life will eventually overwhelm you. So don't wait till that happens to be open to connecting with hearing from God. Listen, the tragedy of a closed heart and closed mind is that it is barren. Like the path in the field, it is unproductive. And it is only fit for birds to feed off of. You want to hear from God? you got to start with an open mind and heart. Number two, you got to have an attitude of willingness to be available. To hear from God, you have to have a willingness to be available. It's not just about being open to hearing from God. It's being available to hear from God, to allocate time, and to slow down long enough for God to speak to you. Sadly, most of us are going through life 90 miles an hour with our hair on fire. We live like hummingbirds, going from thing to thing, bouncing around, filling up every moment of every day. We're spinning all these plates, and we're going, all right, God, speak to me, but I don't have a lot of time. You need to talk quick, because i got to keep these plates spinning. And we're wondering, why is God not speaking? The answer is, because you don't have time for him to speak. I remember years and years ago when my youngest son, Ben, was about 10 or 11 years old. I was out in the garage piddling with something, messing with something, and 
Ben came out and he said, uh, Pops, can I talk to you for a second? Now, that's a big deal for Ben. Ben is pretty introverted. He's not a big talker. And so I'm like, yeah, absolutely, Ben. What's going on? I'm here for you. What do you need to tell me? But I didn't stop fiddling with what I was fiddling with. And he's like, no, I'll come back when you're not busy. And I'm like, I'm not busy, buddy. I'm a great multitasker. I can do this and listen to you. And he's like, no, sir, never mind. And he turned to walk off. Now, I'm stubborn, but I'm not completely stupid. I figured it out. And so I stopped what I was doing. I turned towards Ben, gave him my full undivided attention. And when I did, he began to open up and share. It's no major thing, but it was important to him. And he was willing to speak with me when he knew that he knew that I was available to be spoken to. And I think that's what Jesus is illustrating in this second type of soil. Notice verse 6. Jesus said, some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, when the plants came up, they withered because they had no moisture. Circle that phrase, rocky ground ground. Circle that on your outline because most of us when we hear that we picture in our mind a place in the field where there are a lot of rocks. Rocks on the surface, rocks sticking up like icebergs from the surface and we think well the seed fell in the dirt between the rocks and it started growing a little bit like plants growing in the crack of your driveway. That's what we see in our mind but I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about and here's the reason. There are places in Palestine where Jesus lived, where he told this story. There are some places where the bedrock comes within a few inches of the surface. So are these places where you can look, and it looks like beautiful, fertile, soft dirt, but about two or three inches below that dirt is solid bedrock. And I think Jesus is saying some of the seed fell on that and it started to grow pretty quickly, but because it didn't have enough time and didn't have deep roots, it fell in this shallow soil. It couldn't hack the struggles of life. In fact, look at verse 13. Jesus says, the seed that fell on rock is like those who hear God's teaching and accept it gladly. They look good on the surface, but they don't allow the teaching to go deep into their lives. They believe for a while, but when the trouble comes, they give up. I was reading that verse this week, and it caused me to think of the hundreds, perhaps even thousands of people who have connected with Cedar Creek Church over the last 26 years. And it's so amazing. They come for the first time, and they're so excited. They're like, man, this is great. I didn't think church could be this way. The music, the energy, the people, they love the experience of Sunday morning. And they're here all the time. Every Sunday, they show up. And then about six months or a year later, I'll look around and they're gone. And I realize I haven't seen them in in weeks. Where are they? What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Life happened. And their emotional connection to God and his family was not deep enough to sustain them when life went haywire. Because let me tell you something, when it comes to your journey with Jesus, emotion ain't devotion. 
Nothing wrong with emotion, but don't confuse it with a deep spiritual life. You can come every week and sing and cry and raise your hands and cheer and have all this emotional experience. But if you've got no roots, you've got no faith. And if you've got no time to grow those roots, you'll never have faith. Look, the depth of your faith is not seen in your emotional experiences with God. The depth of your faith is seen in your trust in God when life gets tough. And your level of trust in God is directly proportional to the amount of time you're willing to invest in your relationship with God. Because your relationship with God is like any other relationship. It takes time, it takes attention, and it takes commitment. That's why week in and week out, I'm always begging you to take a next step. Don't let Sunday morning be your only connection to God. Get connected in a home group so you can invest time during the week to grow deeper roots. Spend time every day in God's Word and in prayer alone so that you can grow deeper roots. You want to hear from God? You have to make time for God. And then number three, the third attitude that will allow me to hear from God is a desire to live a focused life. A desire to live a focused life. It's not just the speed of life that keeps us from hearing from God. It's our preoccupation with the stuff of life. Can I just tell you, until we start eliminating some of the distractions in our lives, we're going to have a hard time hearing from God. Notice verse 7. Jesus said, Some seed fell among thorny weeds, but the weeds grew up with it and choked the good plant. Circle that phrase, with it. The problem was not that the soil was too hard or that the soil was too shallow. The problem was all the other things that were in the soil. The soil was crowded. A couple of years ago, Terry and I started doing something we'd never done before, at least as a couple. We started trying to grow some flower beds in our yard, try to improve our landscaping. Because when the kids were little, we had neither the time nor the money to have a nice yard. We just let the weeds grow. And by the way, if you cut weeds low, they kind of look like grass for a while. And that's what we went with. Our saying was, we're raising kids, not yards. But now the kids were all grown. We started to decide, hey, let's do some of this stuff. Let's, let's plant some flower beds. And what we've discovered these last two years, you guys have known this, but this was new to us. It takes a ton of work and energy to get the good stuff to grow, but it takes almost nothing for the bad stuff to grow, doesn't it? I mean, the weeds, you'd be like, I'm working, nurturing this plant, giving it my whole life, trying to get it to grow. And I walk up one morning, and the weeds around it are 10 times higher, and I've done nothing to help them grow. And it's that way in life. The good stuff in your life takes focus. It takes focus. you got to drill down, focus, be intentional. The bad stuff will grow all by itself. Can I just tell you this? Unless you intentionally focus on the stuff you want to grow in your life, you're going to wake up one day down the road and see your life is filled with a whole lot of stuff you never wanted. So what are the weeds of distraction in our lives? 
Well, Jesus gives us a pretty good list. Verse 14. Jesus said, the seed that fell among the thorny weeds is like those who hear God's teaching, but they let worries, riches, and pleasures of this life keep them from growing and producing good fruit. You know what's fascinating to me? The same three weeds that were growing in the lives of first century people are the same three weeds that are growing in the gardens of our life. Which one of those is your weed? Worry, riches, that word riches doesn't just mean money in the bank, it means material possessions, nothing wrong with material possessions, but man, they can distract you, or maybe for you it's pleasure, nothing wrong with experiencing pleasure, God created us to experience pleasure, but it was never meant to be the primary pursuit of our lives, and the problem with pursuing pleasure as your primary pursuit is you'll never have enough. Pleasure's like a drug, right? The more you get, the more you need to get the same experience. So what's your weed? Here's what I want you to do. Circle it. Circle the weed that most often grows in your garden and chokes out the voice of God. There are a lot of distractions in our culture. In fact, I think we may be the most distracted culture and the most distracted generation ever. We're so distracted with our social media, so distracted with our politics and the news, and we're so distracted with the stuff of this world. We have no ears to hear the voice of our Father. And finally, number four, the fourth attitude that is essential to hear from God is a spirit of obedience, a spirit of obedience, a desire to cooperate with God Whatever he asks you to do. See, I believe God speaks the clearest to those he knows who are willing to do whatever he says before he even says it. Who are willing to say, yes, Lord, before they even know what God is asking them to do. I believe that's what fertile soil is. Notice verse 8. Jesus said, still other seed fell on fertile soil. And this seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times miraculous, more than ever could be imagined, as much as been planted. You know what that tells me? God speaks to us and he gives us his will, not for our consideration, but for our cooperation. I see, I think too many of us say, God, I want to hear from you. And then as soon as he tells us what he wants us to do, we're like, yeah, but I better ask somebody else. I better get advice from this person or see what the culture says or what the wisest thing. Listen, God doesn't give us his will for our consideration. He gives it to us for our cooperation. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Are you fooling yourself? How yielded are you to God's will? How much are you willing to say, yes, Lord, when you don't even know what he's going to ask you to do? Because I believe the more open you are to being obedient to what God says, the more you'll begin to hear what God has to say to you. Reminds me of a song we used to sing when I 
was growing up in church. A beautiful hymn. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. Would you pray with me? Father, I I thank you so much that you love us enough to speak to us to tell us so clearly what you've called us to do. I thank you that neither your will nor your word is complicated, but I know it is difficult to do. It is difficult to put into practice, easy to understand, hard to live it out. And so I pray, Lord, for me in my life and in the lives of my church family that I love so much, that we would take a next step this week to tend our garden, to work the soil of our heart and our attitudes, to hear from you, and then respond with obedience through the strength of your Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
middle of the storm. 